Alan Karpik and Nate Barrett, Monday Night Memories. It's our favorite show of the week. Uh, Nate, uh, of course, from Chariot Auto Group, Twin City uh, Superstore, and of course, on the Purdue Radio Network. This is a Hall of Fame class here of six people that I all that I really like to visit with. I'd be we could be talking about something else, but uh, the great story of Len Dawson and his impact uh, and his legacy. Obviously, Len passed away last month, but uh, left a legacy that touched all of us in one way or another. But I want to introduce our group. That's on on the, the 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 Zoom today. Of course, Nate Baird. I've already in, introduced Tom Schott, uh, and it works also at Purdue University, and and worked in the Athletic Public Relations Office, Strategic Communications for many years. Jim Brugink also had had touched with uh, uh, now retired, but uh, worked in Strategic Communications at Purdue Athletic Public Relations for years, and had touches with Lynn, and of course the National Football Foundation. And that iconic picture of Len Dawson, Drew Brees, and Bob Greasy, one of my favorite pictures of that uh, event of way back in 2010. And of course, Tim Newton, the voice of uh, Purdue football, Indiana Sportscaster of the Year. He does not pay us to say that, uh, but we appreciate Tim being there. And of course, Tom Deanhart, uh, my colleague at goldenblack.com, and a privilege to have Tom on as well. Uh, like I said, uh, it's it's really interesting with, with uh Len Dawson, I'll start with you, you uh, Tom Dean Hart. In terms of just the whole notion, you had an interesting story about your dad and 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 the impact that uh, that he had, and maybe also on family lore with uh, with Len Dawson. Of course, Len Dawson, quarterback at Purdue from 1954 on the varsity, 54 to 56, Purdue's first academic All American. Of course, led Kansas City to the Super Bowl, played in Super Bowl, and was a Super Bowl four MVP. If uh, in case you don't know who Len Dawson is, but Tom, share that story as we'll get this started. Yeah, first, you know, thanks for having me, guys. And um, yeah, I listened to a lot of Kansas City uh, podcast radio, and there were a lot of great tributes for Lynn. And the thing that really struck me was not his football acumen, but just the type of person he was and the impact he, he made on other people, uh, just with the way he carried himself. And just a, just a special individual who uh, was an icon in that area, as you very well could imagine. And I'm yeah, my dad graduated from West Lafayette High School in 1954, and then, of course, walked right across Northwestern Avenue like I did and went to Purdue. Of course, Purdue was a smaller place in the 50s, and like Len Dawson, he was a PE major, and they so often sat, I guess, this according to my dad, sat next <laughs> to each other because Dawson and Dean Hart were close in the alphabet, obviously, and he said they ran around a little bit in college and, of course, got us the requisite autographed uh, pictures later in life but uh you know what my one regret guys is i never got a chance to meet len dawson and i'm sure many of you on this call did i'm sure jim did and tom did maybe maybe even alan and, and uh, i don't know but again uh, he's a guy that i really wish i could have connected with at some point just to just to corroborate some stuff and tell him what i thought of him as it's not just a, a football player but a person guys and really to me, the, 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 the one of the angles on Dawson that seems to get lost from his Purdue years is the fact, and you guys probably know the story about him being the golden boy, right? Yeah. And it was it Al Wright said, well, the golden boy needs a golden girl. And bang, one of the greatest Purdue traditions, in my mind, is born in there that still obviously lives on today, the Purdue golden girl, iconic, right? And that's because of Lynn Dawson. And you had uh, Bob DeMoss. You had Dale Samuels, then you had Lynn Dawson. So they really kept that trilogy going. 
which of course has become the cradle of quarterbacks, just a, a great person who uh, the world will miss. You know, Nate, you had a chance to, well said, Tom, Nate, you had a chance to interview Len Dawson. Might have been the last time he was on Purdue's campus at the National Football Foundation celebrating our Legends Dinner back in 2010. What was that like for you, uh, that experience, and uh, what impressions did you have with, with uh, Len in that situation? That was an incredible night because we had uh, Len Dawson, Bob Greasy, Drew Brees were all there. Uh, and it, and it only to be eclipsed uh, in some ways a year later when you had the three uh, astronauts in. Yeah, you, yeah. When you thought you couldn't top the 2010 dinner, the 2011 one was a whole different level. But uh, what uh, in preparing for this, I went back and watched the whole thing about nine minutes. And what strikes you is what a pro he was, uh, just a television level pro. And of course, by that time, he had been doing the inside the NFL stuff for so long but at the tail end of that interview he talks about how he uh, got involved with local tv and how he wasn't making a lot of money and so he had to go to practice with the chiefs and then go do the local sports uh that night right. and he'd do the, the like the six and the late you mm -hmm. would do the late sports as well and then the chiefs had a bad year the next year and fans started to complain when they realized you know hey our quarterback's doing the late sports and then he makes this comment in the interview about, uh, well, at least you knew where I was at 10 p.m. <laughs> I thought that was great. And then he basically walks off the interview at the end. He, he made a great line, and then he, he knew when to quit the interview. In other words, his timing was very oh, yeah. much a pro. Yeah, no question on that. Tom Schott, you, you had to uh, touch us with him as well. Certainly in 2003 was the one time when he was at Ohio State. And I know that uh, Tim is Tim Tim did too. But talk about the, the scope of Purdue football and, and, and Purdue hit sports history and the fact that this is a guy that obviously got Purdue on the map by winning a Super Bowl as a quarterback school it had that legacy too because of mike phipps and and bob greasy right before had led into that 1970 what was it 1970 when he won the super bowl but just the grand scheme of what what he meant to purdue uh from a football standpoint was pretty significant uh, no doubt about it i mean you look back uh the numbers he put up at the time in the 50s were, were astronomical they're they're pedestrian by today's standards but uh, uh he came to purdue because Purdue was known for throwing the football, and that certainly doesn't have the same didn't have the same connotation then as it does now or did under Joe Tiller. But uh, he wanted he was a, a throwing quarterback in high school and wanted to use those talents at college, and, and felt Purdue was was the best fit for him. And and I think uh, you know I met uh, Lynn several times. Uh, I think the last time probably would have been that two thousand three meeting in Columbus. Um, um, the game was on. ESPN and Bob Greasy was was doing the game, so he and and the Chiefs were in Cincinnati for a Sunday game, so uh, Bob uh, convinced Lynn to come up and and watch the game and hang out and, and Tim and I spent uh, uh, most of our Friday night uh, in the hotel uh, lobby uh, bar with with Lynn and 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 dozens of his closest friends that he'd never met before. I mean, that's kind of what Tom, <laughs> yeah. kind of Tom Deanhart said. I mean, I mean, again, he'd been gone for 50 years from Purdue. And he wasn't actually, you know, I, I guess with the inside the NFL, HBO was a bit of a national stage. It wasn't like he was the Monday night football announcer, but, you know, these Purdue fans that were in town for the game, you know, knew of Len Dawson, wanted to meet Len Dawson, wanted to get a piece of Len Dawson. And he was enjoying every bit of it. And, and, and again, made everyone feel like uh, uh, they've been, 
they, they were Tom Deanhart's dad, you know, yeah. <laughs> just, uh, just a super nice guy, the ultimate gentleman. Um, and as Nate said, just such a pro. I mean, I mean, really had a hugely successful second career. I mean, he's in the Pro Football of Fame as both a player and a broadcaster. I believe the only one uh, that can, can make that claim. And uh, um, he was just a delight. And, and um, yeah, certainly uh, the quarterback event was awesome. And, and, and that night was awesome. But uh, um, yeah, just uh, a lot of great memories and, and what he did for Purdue. And, and obviously the whole Hank Strand connection, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, uh, is neat. But uh, um, he was really one of the great guys to meet in my time at Purdue, no doubt about it. You know, you look at this, and and uh, I'll I'll go to to Jim Brugink on this as well. That, you know, again, the, the scope of what he's done, but just putting together that, uh, getting those three guys together. And I always thought, thought, and maybe incorrectly, that Dawson kind of felt like, from a college career standpoint, I guess his his college career didn't measure up to Drew Brees and Bob Greasy. Uh, that that may be true, but any sense from him in terms of your experiences with him, Jim, and what uh, you know, and your work with the with the the Tiller chapter, and and his his willingness and desire to come to that event and be part of it, it was a big deal for him, as I recall. Yes, uh, and thanks for having me on this, uh, Alan. Indeed, you were very accurate with that. Um, Len, I think, had felt as though he kind of was missing out a little bit from time to time because yeah. he was so busy with the rest of his career. Um, he, he did tell me that he really appreciated what we did for him back in 2010 and having him included with that because the cradle of quarterbacks really is a neat tradition that he feels very much a part of, but he also knew that some of those other guys were coming back more often. You know, we, we tried to celebrate the cradle of quarterbacks as many times a year as we possibly can to get those people back. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was very infrequent when his, the schedules would fit so that he could come back. But the fact that we did that event in June when there weren't very many football conflicts, I think really helped. Plus, I think he, he really uh, liked the idea of celebrating Purdue's three Super Bowl champion quarterbacks, which yeah. is such a, a unique thing that Purdue can claim. And him being a part of that, I think he, he really did appreciate that. We tried to get him back a couple you now back uh, 2018, I believe it was. Right, I remember when we inducted him into the Indiana Football Hall of Fame, but his health didn't allow him to come back for that, and um, and and unfortunately, um, he didn't make many public appearances after that. So, uh, but uh, I know his his feeling was that he would have liked to have come back a lot more um, than he did, but um, you know we were glad to have him that certainly for that event. And his participation in the Purdue Hall of Fame um, induction back in the 1996, I believe, Six, right? it said, said, yeah. um, that was also a very unique opportunity to see him back on the same stage and the say at the same time with Hank Stram. Yeah. You know, you look at it, Tim and, and uh, Tim Newton on on the whole notion of uh, you were involved in and went back and listened to that interview in 96. Hank Stram, I mean, you talk about national stages. I mean, if you're an NFL films guy, uh, you you love the matriculating down the field or what, what the lines that Hank Stram used in that uh, Super Bowl four and other other times. They were just classic. And of course, the uh, the uh, the iconic picture on Dawson smoking a cigarette on the sideline, which which appeared after that. But just your impressions of him, and and you certainly got to got to, had some experiences with him also in two thousand three. 
Well, I have to admit, Alan, growing up, I didn't like Len very much because I was a Buffalo Bills fan. <laughs> yeah, right. just outside of Buffalo. And back in the old AFL days, the Chiefs were one of the best teams. And in fact, uh, the Chiefs beat the Bills at War Memorial Stadium to go to the first Super Bowl. And, and Len right. had a great game, as he often did. Um, I did get a chance to, to my only chance to meet him was it was in 2003 in Columbus. And uh, we saw him the night before. And then he was at the game uh, on uh, on that Saturday at Ohio Stadium. And the one thing I remember, Len was a very cerebral guy, but he was also a pretty competitive guy. Yeah, he was angry that we weren't snapping the ball quicker uh, before Ohio State was getting a chance to get lined up because we were we were it seemed like every play we were long count at the line of scrimmage and Ohio state was running around. He didn't understand why we weren't snapping the ball to catch them off guard. So he was always thinking like a quarterback, but um, yeah, I just remember those days back in the AFL when he would break my heart, throwing the ball to Otis Taylor and Fred Arbanis and, you know, the innovations that he brought through the AFL. And then when, when the leaves leagues merged uh, and, and after they beat the Vikings in the last AFL NFL game, uh, my high school team huddled, the way Kansas city huddled, you yeah. know, you had, you had the players lined up and then they would split off depending on which formation it was. And it, we, we copied the chiefs and it was, it was Len Dawson who was always at the head of that. So uh, a real innovator, he and Hank Stram, and it's kind of hard to picture one without the other. And um, it was a great combination at Purdue and it was a great combination in the NFL as well. You know, the, Alan, iconic... I think people forget. Yeah, go ahead. I think people forget uh, he was kind of a nobody for five years in the NFL. Yeah. Before. Even uh, though he was a first round draft pick. First round draft pick with, with the Steelers, but did not do much there. Then um, was the Cleveland Browns and, and this was, was kind of a seldom used backup. And then got his big break uh, when, when Hank Stram uh, took him with the Dallas Texans, who of course became the Chiefs. So um, here's a guy that, again, at a time when they didn't make a lot of money, you know, stuck it out for quite a while before finally. Uh, before finally getting to show his stuff. Yeah, Hank Stram actually had to go to Paul Brown and work something out where Paul Brown would release Len because it was clear he was not going to play for the Browns. He didn't play very much for the Steelers. I think in his first four or five years in the in the NFL, he had thrown a total of maybe 40 or 50 passes. So, and but Hank wanted him. Hank had just taken the job with the Kansas City, uh, with the Dallas Texans, who later became the Kansas City Chiefs. And, and Len went there in 1962 and won a championship in his first year. Yeah. Yeah. Then the Chiefs moved uh, as a championship team to Kansas City. Rare to see a team win a title and leave their city. But yeah, you guys are exactly right. That connection, Hank Stram with the Texans, helped bring Dawson uh, into that franchise. And, you know, guys, you think about great AFL quarterbacks, and Joe Namath always is the name out of everybody's mouth, right? And I think if you really ask the, co the football cognoscente and look at the numbers, fellas, I mean, Len Dawson was, was the best quarterback in the history of the AFL. Uh, but again, Namath always seems to get that based solely, it seems like, on that, that performance in, the, in Super Bowl three. But um, yeah, you know, for me growing up as a kid in the 70s too, um, you talked about inside the NFL on HBO. And we got, we got HBO back right in 78, 79. And you talk about appointment television for a kid who loved football in an era when we weren't inundated and flooded with highlights left and right of every NFL game that happens. That was Thursday night it debuted and to watch Len and Nick, right? Yeah. Uh, Len and Nick, Cotty, right? Right down the highlights of every game with analysis. Um, and, you know, Tom talked about that earlier, you know, that, that two-part career, if you will, where 
generations of people only knew Len, obviously, as a broadcaster. Uh, and again, uh, Hall of Famer at both. And it's Frank Gifford and Dan Deardorff and Len Dawson, I think the three guys who are in the hall as players and broadcasters. And um, yeah, Len on television was, was really something. We heard about his career in Kansas City, too, for years, uh, anchoring the sports there as well. So, uh, you know, the seventh son of a seventh son. How about that? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, 11 kids in his family. And I listened to a podcast he did a couple of weeks ago with somebody, and he talked about his recruitment. And, of course, Ohio State came after him, as you would expect, but had no interest in, in being an offense that was ground-oriented and, and uh, got to Purdue, and the rest is history. Uh, uh, again, just a special guy who uh, I'm glad we get a chance to celebrate. You know, I had a chance, I think, to write a pro. I don't know if it was a game program. It might have been something for Golden Black. I don't remember. But Len, you know, the story was when he came to Purdue, he was married. Yeah. He didn't tell anybody. Uh, didn't tell his family. I don't know how that all worked out. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly how that went in, 19, in the in the uh, fall of 53 and uh, whenever he showed up on campus. But the whole thing, and I think that the Purdue-Notre Dame game of 1950 and the, the effect of newsreels uh, really got him interested in Purdue because, of course, Dale Samuels, his predecessor, be, stopping Notre Dame's 39 game unbeaten string. But I just think too, I remember as a kid and, um, uh, you know, those, I, in my family, it was an, we were an NFL family. We were all tradition and all this and that. And I love the AFL. Uh, I think I used to root for the pack pack 10 or pack eight in the Rose bowl too. I don't know, maybe just to make my brother mm -hmm. and my dad, uh, uh, upset. I'm not sure, but watching Len Dawson, two iconic games, you know, those lend the Oakland Raiders, uh, chiefs games, and then, of course, I think it was Greasy versus Dawson in one of the longest games in the history of the NFL, or it was the longest game at the time when the, what, the Dolphins beat Kansas City in, in Miami. But just watching two Purdue quarterbacks go at it. And you got to remember, too, Dawson played for 19 years. I mean, I think he did not retire until 75. I may be wrong on that, but it's, it was right around there. Uh, uh, you know, he had a lot of longevity to him uh, in, a, in a place that and he still held the record for if I'm right on that, still held the Kansas City Chiefs all time passing record until Mahomes. In the middle of Mahomes did it in what four or five years, but uh, still an amazing how that all played out. But uh, just an amazing story from that standpoint. Nate Barrett, anything else from your perspective in terms of what you're, you're even collecting uh, trading cards to that uh, impact of a quarterback like that? And you're you're young. You're the young guy of all this, so well, you got to you got to you got to bring out to what he meant to you from that standpoint. Well, one story that you guys would appreciate: uh, when my grandfather was down in Terre Haute, coming up in the car business, there was a day he was selling cars at a dealership called Don and Decker Ford, and it was right by the Indiana State sycamore football stadium and he used to tell me the story that that hank stram and dawson and the Chiefs stopped by Terre Haute one day to mm -hmm. check out indiana state stadium because it was one of the first ones that had asked right and they wanted to check it out but because they were playing somebody uh pretty soon that was going to have astroturf and so he went over and just sat in the stands and, and watched them practice and so that was always a story that uh, that he and i had and, and shared about his Terre Haute day so that, that's one that I, I certainly value. And, and to touch on again, you you mentioned the picture. It was fun to see on Twitter how the uh, the picture of him smoking, uh, you know, with the little <laughs> bottle there at, at halftime. With the fresca. Like, 
Fresca. Yeah, Fresca. It, it reintroduced him to a you know a whole new generation of, of fans. <laughs> that I that and I can remember the Dick Allen cover of Sports Illustrated three or four years later, but that was just uh uh him smoking a cigarette in the dugout. That uh, shows you what uh I think and I want I'm open to anybody to comment on this because I think and Tim kind of focused on it. Stram and Dawson, there were some real interesting similarities in terms of the way they carried themselves. You know, as as Stram was always the uh, star, sartorially resplendent guy and you know, always had the, the cuffs and always was dressed to, it seemed like, to the nines on the sideline. I don't know that you ever saw him in a in a pullover. Maybe you did. I don't know. I guess there, there are pictures I've seen of him in practice. But Dawson was kind of that same way. He had a real style to him, very attention to detail of how how he how he put himself together. Maybe that was a television career. Probably was. But uh, anybody else have that same impression or any other things they want to share about Len? I think they understood. I think both guys understood the importance of image. Uh, yes. Hank Stram certainly uh, was well aware in Super Bowl four that he was wired for sound. Uh, and I think he put on a real show for everybody. And uh, if there's anybody who's watched NFL films for years and doesn't know what 65 toss power trap is, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, that's that's the play that they scored their first touchdown in the Super Bowl. But I think Len, with the experience that you mentioned earlier, uh, working in television from the time that he was a player, he understood the importance of media. He also understood, you know, he's a guy that probably would not have been bothered in the era of social media because you have a feeling that Len was always aware of what was around him. Um, yeah, he was no. never going to be caught in a compromising or bad situation. Um, what you saw in the field was kind of, you know, Lenny the Cool was his nickname. Yeah. And that was the way he was both on and off the field. So, uh, yeah, even, even though Hank was certainly a little bit more demonstrative, um, I think they deep down had that same uh, passion for football, but also the same. They, they understood the importance of image and projecting an image that would not only better their team, but also better the league in general. They call that branding now. They were way yeah. ahead of their time. They call it branding. So. Yep, I think that is absolutely too. We're in the we're in the presence of a great announcer and Tim Newton. But the fact I want you guys all to kind of muddle through what role you know you think about the Purdue quarterbacks uh, and and not only Bob Greasy but Gary Danielson who's been a great uh, broadcaster. Uh, Mark Herman did some ABC work in his day and he'll be rejoining the pretty radio crew uh, for some sideline games, I believe this year as well. Uh, you've got guys, you know, Drew Brees on down the line, that legacy. I don't know that it had anything to do with each other, except that Dawson did pave the way for that quarterback to be the, to be the, the man in the room, so to speak, when it comes to broadcast, uh, anybody care to comment on that? We look at all the Purdue quarterbacks. They're just all smart guys. I mean, they're, they're yeah. guys that could have been successful in anything they chose to do, and 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 all of them were. If you look at, at all the names of the cradle, and and some chose the avenue of, of announcing because uh, their passion for football and their ability to, to 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 analyze what they're seeing. They're just they were all brilliant. At least the ones I met and got to know over the years were all smart football guys, smart people overall. So not surprising that they would do that and, and be successful. I mean, I mean, you know, Bob Greasy for years on ABC ESPN still, still does work with the Dolphins. You mentioned Gary Danielson still doing games, did big 10 games for many years. Um, you know, the others, it's just not to me, not a surprise at all. Uh, probably no relation other than our correlation between them all other than the fact that they went to Purdue and got a great education and, and had a great football experience. 
or even Dale Dale Samuels had experience as Purdue yeah. commentary yeah. on radio. Did number of years. That's Jim right. Jim Everett was known for an interview, although being on the other side of the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he also he did, I think I think he also did some work in LA television. Uh, but I'm not it, sure. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, the old I still like appreciate the fact that Jim Everett still came to understanding branding. He understands Brandy. Always willing to talk about that interview. Yeah. With, uh, <laughs> uh, Jim Rome. That I think the yeah. Jim Rome. I think that that uh, was pretty much the case uh, in terms of uh, his, uh, his the role of all those guys. Uh, um, really had a huge impact on Purdue. Right, we'll go around the table one time at last word on Len Dawson and uh, and uh, any anything else you want to add to the fray, Tom Deanhart. I'll throw to you first. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all been pretty well summed up here, guys. Um, Great player, better person. I mean, uh, what a legacy. I mean, that's that, that's all you need in life, right? Is, uh, is, is you remember it, I think, by how you impacted other people. Uh, not by your accomplishments, but how you made other people feel about themselves and how you served others. And Len Dawson seemed to check a lot of those boxes um, in addition to being obviously a terrific football player. Tim Newton? Uh, two things here. First of all, I don't know if I'm breaking any news here, but um, when when I talked to Hank Stram in 1996, he mentioned that I believe it was Hank's father-in-law that ran the Piggly Wiggly, which was a supermarket <laughs> in West Lafayette. And you mentioned, I think Tom mentioned earlier that Len was married. Apparently, he um, Hank's father-in-law took groceries to Len and his wife. I don't know if that was an NCAA violation. Um, oh, Purdue would plus, never have. It was 60 plus <laughs> years ago. So certainly the statute of limitations has gone out. But um, just hearing that that story, it, it kind of gave you that hometown feel of, you know, Len and his wife out in the in married student housing out near the Purdue airport. And just a couple of college uh, kids out here trying to make a living as they left Purdue. And, and I think Len Dawson kind of epitomized what the six of us who've been around Purdue for between the six of us, probably 150 plus years. Um, they, they, he epitomized class on and off the field. And he epitomized to me what you want a Boilermaker to be. Um, he let his accomplishments for the most part do his talking, even though he was a very successful broadcaster, but he didn't have to tell people that he was great. People knew that he was great. And, and Len Dawson to me was just a true Boilermaker to the core. Jim, uh, you guys summar summarized it very well. I just have one other quick point, and I'm not sure this is my fuzzy aging memory, but you mentioned the connection with the golden girl and the golden boy. Isn't it true that they connected? Didn't it, didn't he actually marry the golden girl? No, I think he married his high school sweetheart. Okay. Yeah, he married it to me. Yeah, he was married when he came here. That's a good right. urban legend thing that you can you can start spreading that rumor anytime. You know, okay, on all your on all your social media channels. But <laughs> you know, I I do think that um, yeah. And again, as I recall, he 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 said in '54 that he was. I don't know why they they came. They both because I think they wanted they lived together, which was you know which was not not a cool thing in 1954. But he had to prove he was married. But somehow his parents didn't know. I can't remember the whole story, but I do remember that he always was complimentary about what Purdue meant to him, and he, he didn't know. And uh, that meant that meant a great deal. Tom Schott, uh, anything else that you care to add to this? 
I certainly echo all the, the great things I've said about them. I felt the same way in my, my handful of interactions with them, but uh, I'll throw out a, a stat. You kind of touched on, on one of them, but uh, uh, Len threw 30 touchdown passes in 1964, which I'm guessing for the Chiefs, which is uh, I'm guessing was an exorbitant number in, in that era of the NFL. That record stood for the Chiefs for more than 50 years. Yeah. Well, Patrick uh, Mahomes passed it, uh, uh, broke it in 2018. So Chiefs have had some pretty good quarterbacks over the years, but uh, 30 is not a huge number by today's standards. Still still very impressive, but uh, um, certainly what he meant to that franchise uh, mirrors what he meant to, to, to prove football. And uh, um, again, he, he just, both places seemed to fit him very well, and he seemed to fit both places very well. And, and what, what more could you ask for? So it was uh, great that you put this together, Alan. Thanks so much. So, yeah, Nate, I, I thank you. And 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 Nate, uh, you know, obviously you've had a broadcasting career along with your day job, but uh, guys like that have, you know, it, it, with the way Nate, with the way that uh, Len carried himself, uh, kind of leave you with a standard to live up to that uh, uh, you kind of get that when you're around him. Do you agree with that? Yeah, you're you're in awe of the professionalism. Uh, and it just makes you realize how much more work you have to do to get better <laughs> at, the, at the craft. You, you know that when you're around Tim and there's so many broadcasters that you just go, man, I'll never be as good as that guy. But it gives you something to shoot for. Uh, one thing I was going to mention, Al, at the tail end of that interview in 2010, he's looking out into the crowd at Drew and he says, it's not the height you have. It's the ability and the heart that you have. And I think there's a connection there between he and, and Drew. And interestingly enough, when I looked it up on Wikipedia, of course, Drew, we know about him winning the uh, Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award in 2006 for everything he did for New Orleans. But did you know Len won it in 1973? So they were both NFL Man of the Year. Did not know that. Yeah. So I, I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, great addition. Hey guys, we we we'll do this every lunch hour now for the next day. Uh, we'll just come up with another subject. But really, the legacy of Len Dawson is so important to the not only to Purdue football but to Purdue University. And to we appreciate you guys taking the time to do that. Have a great uh, rest of your day, and thanks to all of you for uh, watching and or listening to Monday Night Memories brought to brought to us by our good friends Nate Barrett's group at uh, Chariot Auto Group and TwinCitiesSuperstore.com. We appreciate them as well. So have a great rest of the day, all. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Sure. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.